The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And when you feel ready, just settling in for time for some comments and reflections. And again, nice to be with everyone. There's a tradition in our insight meditation community that the first night of retreat practice, right, the often, not always, but often the teacher will give a talk that summarizes the liberating potential of mindful awareness, you know, and it's, it's a little, provocative and I think it's appropriate to wonder like what's what's the big deal about awareness because you know it's kind of a big promise this unshakable release of the heart the heart's sure release awakening enlightenment nibbana So what is the big deal about awareness? And uh, the real answer is, well, let's check it out, you know, for ourselves so that I'm not dependent on what the Buddha said about it or what my teacher said about it. But I know for myself, from uh, observing my own experience, my own mind, what that quality that we call mindful awareness recognizing the present moment, what that does. And that uh, famous talk the Buddha gave, the Satipatthana Sutta, the Discourse on the Foundations of Mindfulness is usually how it's translated. And uh, right at the beginning, what they say, what this discourse says is, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the overcoming of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and distress, for the attainment of the right method, and for the realization of unbinding awakening. In other words, the four foundations of mindfulness. So that's a big, like I said, that's a really big promise. But I, I really have grown to uh, appreciate that because basically what that statement and many other similar statements from our teachers and the tradition, what they're really saying is to walk this path, and like we um, discussed earlier in the day about that thread, following that thread, that there is that quality of freedom embedded in it. And that provides a very necessary, useful feedback. It's almost as if we could keep asking ourselves, is the way my mind is relating, like with or without awareness, but is the way my mind is relating does it have that onward leading flavor of freedom? 
in the direction of freedom and release? Or is the way my mind is relating right now, the qualities of my mind and the way it's relating, does it, is the intuitive sense that it's in the direction of being bound up, not unbinding, but being bound up? One of the uh, first tastes of that freedom. So it's kind of what I'd like to talk about tonight, you know, and more as an open question, is awareness liberating? <laughs> is the awareness of things as they are right now in any moment, like this moment for any of us, is the heart being awake, being aware does that have the flavor of liberation? And of course, you or I could check that out in any moment, like this moment, right? So we're not, this is from Ajahn Sumedha, we're not looking for something somewhere, but opening to the way it is here and now. So we're not looking for a different moment this moment will do. And of course, it's, it's important to appreciate that it may not be, it probably isn't our habit to be open, to be aware, to be interested in this simple and pure way about what's being felt, what's being known, the way it is, right? Because our mind is the, you know, the habits, the conditioned habits are such that the mind veers down those well-greased habit patterns, those grooves to worry about particular things like money or relationships to plan, to problem solve, you know, those well-worn grooves of our habits. So we bring this, you know, we cultivate this intention to be present even before we really know what that is. But we have some sense, you know, the difference between being lost in thought and not being lost in thought. And then we use that, that natural organic feedback, that being present, there's something inherently free in being present. Because when we're present with conditions, open to the conditions of the present moment as they are, then we're for sure in that moment, we're free of trying to make the conditions of the present moment different. Because there's that, like opening is different than manipulating. or resisting, or fighting. That's why opening is such a good word. And it's nice too, because it, it implies that it's ongoing, not like we get to a place called openness, and then we're there, you know, and then we hang out in openness.
And then the question is, when the heart opens, does happiness follow? Uh, well-being follow? And again, it's really important to feel empowered that we can check that out for ourselves. What is the effect of being open? And there's a kind of, I think about it as a soft power. I don't know if people remember this, but uh, the Taoist um, text, the Tao Te Ching, some of you know that text, ancient Chinese text. And um, let's see if I can find it here. There's a great line about um, about water being the softest thing being able to dissolve the hardest thing. I'll just let it go. But uh, you can, I'm sure that you can get the idea, like in the same way that the Colorado River, mostly, you know, carved the Grand Canyon a mile through rock. And it's just water. But the water was persistently flowing, right? And dissolving the stone little by little, drop by drop, something soft can have a very profound effect. And we have that same sense about present moment awareness, that opening to the conditions, that recognition, like right now we can recognize hearing Mark talk is like this, feeling the body sitting is like this, feeling the sensations in the head, feeling the sensations, the sits bones is like this. And when we actually um, align with that opening and that allowing of the conditions to be the way they are, we necessarily abandon the, you know, the deep habit of fixing, you know, the mind has this habit of wanting to fix, in a sense, fix a position for itself. We do that with fixed views, opinions that we're attached to. But we do that in any number of ways, you know, that attachment to views, that attachment to our opinions, our attachments to our desires, our attachments to our ideas about ourselves and who we want to be, who we want to become. And all of those habits have a way of ossifying or congealing or fixing something. It just at least gives that appearance of something fixed, something established. And of course, that creates all kinds of friction, all kinds of problems. Because everything, nature, right, is inherently a movement. It's an activity. And so when the mind, the thinking mind, establishes itself, even something seemingly wholesome, I want to be free. I want to be aware. And we establish ourselves in that 
fixed way, then all of a sudden that mind, that fixed mind, the mind that's identified with the idea I want to be free, now I'm threatened by tension, right? It's like, oh, tension, I want to be free. And there's a problem. And we feel that problem because we've created, in a sense, the mind creates a reality that is a hell realm. So awareness practice is abandoning all of those realms that the mind, the thinking mind constructs and just aligning with nature, the ebb and flow of nature itself. We're not, we're basically ceasing any construction that opposes the way it is, that's in conflict with the way it is. And the way we do that is we keep the way it is in mind. The Buddha sums this up. Enraptured with lust, enraged with hate, blinded by confusion, overwhelmed, with a mind ensnared, a person aims at their ruin, at the ruin of others, at the ruin of both, and they experience mental pain and grief, and they follow with unskillful deeds, words, and thoughts, and they really know neither their own welfare, nor the welfare of others, nor the welfare of both. These things make them unaware and ignorant, hinder knowledge, are painful, and do not lead to peace. Now, knowing the way our world is, and I don't mean just the world out there, but even in our within our own mind, in our own families, that should probably sound familiar. And yet, even though when we feel spun about by life, isn't it interesting that the solution that seems most obvious to our mind is to go seek out some sense pleasure? It's like, oh God, the world is such a mess. I'm going to go get ice cream. Or I'm going to, you know, even if it's, you know, build my little fortress where the world won't intrude. When, you know, when no, nothing will bother me. We keep kind of seeking the resolution of the pain, of the distress, in ways that are really causing the pain and the distress. This is from Ajahn Sumedho, this, uh, one of my teachers and a really, one of our great elders in our Western Buddhist tradition. And he writes in his book, The Mind and the Way, the paradox of it all is that freedom to follow one's impulses and desires doesn't seem to really bring freedom. So, I mean, there's more to this I'll read, but let's just ask. I mean, what has our own experience taught us? Does following my impulse, like even when you're sitting, like those of you at the retreat center and some of you online, you know, you're doing more sitting this weekend and we might have the impulse to move our body because the body's un uncomfortable. And then it's just really good. Honestly, like it does feel good when you move, when you want to move. But then it sets up something that doesn't end, right? There may be a little bit of gratification when you stretch your leg out. 
but then it wants more. <laughs> it doesn't end when we move the body. Or we want to think about something. We're sitting and we're with our bodily sensations and the sounds in the room and being present with conditions as they are. And then some problem in our life shows up in our mind and we want to solve it. We want to think it through. And we think, well, I'll just, that's what the mind wants to do. Why not? But then when the mind, after a while, problem solving that problem, then it wants to solve more problems. And then it, then we start to feel like the mind is desperate for problems to solve because it doesn't want to just be, it wants to solve problems. It's like a hungry monster. You got to keep feeding it things to worry about, problems to solve, fantasies to fantasize about. And it's like basically saying, if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to eat you up. And we believe it. So it's kind of the deal with the devil. And that's really what this passage from Ajahn Sumedho is saying. The paradox of it all is that freedom to follow one's impulses and desires doesn't seem to really bring freedom. And please check that out. See for yourself. Then he writes, this is how I see it from my own experience in life. I found that while I thought I was free to follow my desires, I ended up feeling very confused and enslaved by desires. I mean, the sort of uh, extreme example of this is, I mean, maybe not these days, but maybe when we were younger, and some of you are younger, you know, we just kind of had these all-out parties where we just allowed the mind and body to pursue any desire that it wanted. Drink? Sure, I'll drink. Drugs? Sure. Sex? Sure. You know, whatever. Media, this, that. Or we do it, one of the places uh, we act this out sometimes is just the internet. You can do whatever you want on the internet. You can go wherever you want to go. You can read or look at whatever you want to read or look at. And then just to observe. Does this lead, what does this actually set emotion in my mind, my heart, and my body? Is that result, whatever the result is, is that result what I was looking for? Is it in the direction of a meaningful happiness or peace or release? Something the heart really seeks, is it? And the, the thing, the reason why awareness practice is challenging isn't that it's hard. I mean, it's, it's not our habit, for sure, but it's not complicated. But the, it's really opposed to our well-greased habits of greed, hatred, and delusion, like that passage I read from the Buddha earlier, enraptured by lust, enraged with hate, deluded by confusion, overwhelmed with a mind ensnared. A person aims at the ruin, at the ruin of others, at the ruin of both. So this is the nature of the mind, right? Suffering may be optional, but it's our habit to be relating to experience and to be relating to our thoughts about experience in ways that are entangling and heavy, like we get, the mind gets ensnared, it gets entangled with its greed and its aversion. 
And then because that's stressful, we want, from this egoic or self-centered point of view, we want relief, it's totally appropriate. But in the desire for relief, we only know one thing, to do more of what got us there to begin with. You know, pursuing our desires and acting out our hate, trying to get rid of what we want to get rid of. And we just get more and more entangled. In the Buddhist tradition, they use an image, it's called a monkey trap. And it's told in, in different ways. But, you know, one version of the story is there's a bunch, the person who's trying to catch a monkey, you know, they put some tar down and the monkey steps in it, you know, and it can't get its foot. So it puts its other foot down in the tar to lift one up that's stuck. Now both feet are stuck. So then it plants its hand to try to release the feet from the tar and the hand gets stuck. And then eventually you can see where this is going. It puts its head down, you know, to kind of help get the feet and hands out of the tar and then the head stuck. And then that monkey is for sure caught. And that's just an image that's been used, you know, a simile that's been used forever just to describe, you know, how when we get entangled in the ways that our mind gets entangled, we tend to seek the disentangling in ways that just lead to more entanglement. And this is where mindfulness comes in. You know, mindfulness I think Jack Kornfield said, mindfulness disturbs the tranquility of our ignorance because it's really in the other direction. So it's less about doing something and it's more about a way of opening. This is from Sarah Dowring. Uh, she's passed away not that long ago. Um, somebody I studied with for uh, briefly in some of the longer retreats I did. This is an article she wrote about uh, loving kindness and hatred. To turn to the present and accept the unacceptable actually turns out to be a relief. If you've ever done this, you know what I mean. It means there is no need to struggle anymore. A burden lifts that we hadn't even known we were carrying. Things are the way that they are. We accept them because they are a fact. It is the only realistic thing to do. And so we move on with life. To turn to the present and accept the unacceptable actually turns out to be a relief. Because in that moment, we're no longer running from what's already here. Where are we going to go? So we have a painful thought. This is very common in the quietude of a retreat setting. I'm sure some of you who are at the retreat center, or maybe some of you at home who have a quiet setting today, you know, different painful thoughts and memories, experiences can come up. Whatever it might be about, it doesn't really matter. Our heart is vulnerable to any unresolved pain, and I'm guessing all of us all of us have unresolved pain, meaning there are currents in our heart, in our mind and body, that are just in a sense waiting for some quietude 
this absence of busyness to show up. They kind of percolate up precisely because maybe we're having a day or some time that's not, not so busy. And the mind being relatively quiet, it becomes more sensitive. And it's like in that safety, things come to the surface, right? And if we learn to turn and learn how, we may not know how initially, but maybe with practice we learn how to accept what initially appears to be unacceptable. You know, initially the habits are screaming, run or kill. Don't feel, don't open, don't allow. Deny, fight, kill, hide, pretend it ain't so. And you'll see, you know, more, the more you practice, the more you'll have this other instinct. When something arises that appears, this is too much. I can't feel this. This is the last thing I want to feel. This is going to kill me if I feel it, right? Now, with practice, the mind gets interested. Is that so? It's not arrogant. Oh, you can open to this, right? Because we may, in that moment, we may not. We may not have enough safety, enough stability of awareness, enough confidence to open to it. But the mind will show some curiosity. Really? And we might, you know, orbit around the pain, so not really go right into the middle. We may not have enough safety or confidence to really open, but we just, like we're doing walking practice or we're sitting and maybe we're with our breath or with some other object here in the present moment, but we just know that that painful place is over there, that memory, that uh, image, or whatever it might be that is kind of the symbol of something that's alive and wormy and in a way asking for attention, but we're not so sure. And we can orbit it, we can touch into it and then back away from it. Or we can turn away completely knowing that it's there, but knowing that we're not going to open to it now. But we don't pretend that eventually we're going to open to it or that we're somehow able to avoid opening it, opening to it eventually. Because we understand that these things are here and now. We don't get to choose what we open to or not. You know, we can, we have a little bit of a choice when we open. We can postpone. I see you. I know you're there. Like how many of us probably even right now, we know there are these places in our lives of unresolved pain, unresolved longing, loneliness, whatever it might be, these wounds. And part of being a healthy, competent, confident Dharma practitioner is, it's like we're not afraid to be the walking wounded. We know, yeah, there's a lot of unresolved stuff. And in the process of living my life and in the process of doing my daily sit and going on retreats, some of these wounds, some of these unresolved places of unresolved pain will announce themselves or show up into the forefront. And I'll just do the best I can. 
I'll either orbit, I'll touch and go, I'll open right into the middle, fearlessly, I'll turn away. Later, maybe another day, but not today. I can't be with you today. I don't hate you. I'm learning not to be afraid of you, but not today. So I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to make a cup of tea. I'm going to really use my meditation anchor of the breath or sound or something so that you stay in the periphery and other aspects of the present moment are invited into the center. But every once in a while, we're the conditions are supportive enough, not perfectly, we really invite whatever that initially may feel like a monster, you know, or scary, for sure. We invite it right to be right in the forefront. And we open up right in through the middle of it. Not me on some platform, you know, 100 yards away looking down on it. But we open up right in the middle. Oh, What's already like this? It already feels like this. Could it possibly be okay to be feeling what I'm feeling now? Is it dangerous? So I just encourage all of us to build that confidence and awareness practice hundreds and hundreds of times, finding our way back, just ordinary moments of retreat practice or daily life practice, where we just like, is there this capacity right now? Is there the potential to be awake, to be aware? Is it helpful? Actually now, here and now, not later, but is it functional and helpful now to be present? Is it to be trusted? Does it allow me to respond more appropriately, more skillfully? Is it a cause for my own well-being and the well-being of those around me? Does it contribute? Does it cause harm, being aware? All of this we can uncover for ourselves. We don't have to be dependent on what somebody else has said about awareness. Let me just end uh, with this. Um, passage from Tony Packer. She was a very respected teacher. Initially, she taught in the Zen tradition because she had studied in Zen at the Rochester Meditation Center in uh, upstate New York. And then, but eventually, when she had become a teacher, she didn't like being constrained by Zen or even, you know, Buddhism. And I think eventually, near the end of her life, she would just call herself an awareness teacher or something like that. I forget exactly how she phrased it. Um, and I think the center or the retreat center she founded, Springwater, is still in existence in upstate New York. But there's a couple of wonderful books. Uh, one of them is uh, Awareness, Unmasking the Self. Oh, no, that was an article. I forget the name of one of her books. But you could just look for Tony Packer. Or go to the springwatercenter.org is the name, and they have some of her teachings there. But this was an article in uh, Tricycle on awareness that Tony wrote. Awareness cannot be taught, and when it is present, it has no context. All contexts are created by thought, 
and are therefore corruptible by thought. Awareness simply throws light on what is, without any separation whatsoever. Awareness, insight, enlightenment, wholeness, whatever words one might pick to label what cannot be caught in words, is not the effect of a cause. Activity does not destroy it. Sitting does not create it. It isn't a product of anything. No technique, method, environment, tradition, posture, activity or non-activity can create it. It is there, uncreated, freely functioning in wisdom and love. When self-centered conditioning is clearly revealed in all of its grossness and subtleness and diffused in the light of understanding. And for me, that's a really beautiful description of the soft power of awareness, how it does dissolve all the hardness, all the constriction that wrong understanding projects onto the moment. Anyway, it's really nice to be with everyone tonight, and I wish you a peaceful weekend of practice. For those of you at home, it will be what it will be, practicing on your own. Shelly will be available uh, tomorrow night for those of you uh, here on Zoom, 7 to 8, same as tonight. And Shelly will also meet with all of you at the retreat center for your afternoon practice check-in at uh, the sit at 4 and then the check-in at 4.30. Hope to see you all down the road. Wishing you a good night of practice. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.